we've got a lot to cover this morning, so I'm going to jump right in pretty quick. But um, let me just tell you that if you're a guest with us this morning, this is kind of a, a little bit different morning. We're, this morning, we're going to be talking about the topic of singleness and where that fits in um, is that over the past four or five weeks, we have been wrapping up a series from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we've really been dialed in on Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul wrote about marriage there. Um, and so this morning, we're going to consider a selection of verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul wrote about singleness. Um, the same apostle who wrote beautifully and poetically about marriage. He also wrote about the beautiful calling of singleness uh, in this chapter. And so we need this balance. Um, We need to be able to to affirm together that, yes, marriage is beautiful, uh, but singleness, whether it's a temporary state in your life, or one that lasts until you go home to be with Jesus. Um, That is a beautiful calling as well before Jesus. And um, and so one of the reasons that we're spending some time talking about this this morning is because we want to be a church. Um, We want to be a church that knows how to love well those who are married, yes, and with families, but also those who are single. Um, maybe dating with the hope of of getting married or wanting to be married and not even dating yet or divorced or widowed or, or wherever you're coming from. Um, and so to love each other well, we have to have a conversation about this topic, um, not just about marriage, but also about singleness. So all that being said, if you look in your bulletin, um, there is a, there's an, a selection of verses that are coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So I'm going to read those for us, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll talk about this topic. All right, let's give our attention to God's holy and inerrant word. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the married and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now down to verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. 
Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Now, verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. Anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better." grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him and ask for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, thank you for giving to us your word, and we pray now that you would pour out your spirit. Um, Give to us your spirit in order that we might understand your word in order that it might be applied your word might be applied to us and um, and ultimately that with eyes of faith we would see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for it's in his name that we pray amen so let me start uh, this morning by just reading you a portion of an email from a, a certain young man who was struggling with his singleness, okay? So he wrote this. What I cannot imagine, what causes me to wince in terror, is the thought of being single in my 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. Perhaps I have not received the relational support to joyfully pursue singleness. Whatever the case, I'm profoundly restless in my singleness, So restless that at times I feel like I'm suffocating under the burden of it. Call it weakness, but I just need to be needed. And not needed by a friend who closes the distance by a phone call, drive, or flight. I need to be needed by a companion companion who is there when I return from work. There when I walk in the park. There when I prepare a meal for dinner. There when I read from a book out loud. There when I go to bed, there when I wake up, there when I cry or laugh, there when I am sick. In short, I desire a covenantal relationship where my helper and I witness each other's moments of being. Otherwise, I dread the thought of having those moments forever unwitnessed. I need the face of God in a watchful and loving human face. So, I'm starting here because I want to acknowledge the longing 
and the desire, that this longing and, and this desire, that it may be present in your life or that it may be present in your friends. And I'm also starting here because I want to just get a sen- you to have a sense um, of how challenging it is to respond helpfully and thoughtfully to that deep of a longing. Um, and for the most part, I don't think the American church has had a great response um, or been able to offer those in this particular struggle something beautiful to embrace. But Paul did. And Paul does have something beautiful to offer. Um, In this letter to the church in Corinth, Paul was saying marriage isn't the only answer. It isn't the only ideal. There's another biblical category that's full of beauty that can and should be embraced, which is singleness. Whether that's a temporary state in your life or, or one that lasts until glory. And so, I I want us to go ahead and jump into this conversation about singleness, Um, and I want to do it this morning by focusing on three things. It's always three things with me, I know, but here they are. Um, The challenge of singleness, the gift of singleness, and the beauty of singleness, okay? The challenge, the gift, and the beauty of singleness. All right, first, let's talk about the challenge of singleness, there are a few things we need, I think we need to acknowledge which can make navigating the single life uh, very challenging and difficult. And one of those things can often be other Christians, well-meaning Christians. Um, if you look at the whole of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you'll see the very reason Paul was even writing on this topic at all was to correct some harmful and unbiblical things that Christians in in Corinth were saying about marriage and sexuality. It's the whole reason he wrote. Right? A a very real challenge for singles can can be dealing with unhelpful, unbiblical, and even harmful things that are said by well-meaning Christians. And so I want to give you a few examples of some unhelpful, unbiblical advice that's been given to singles by other Christians. One is this. Before you can marry someone wonderful, you need to become someone wonderful. As if marriage were some kind of reward for the spiritually mature in this life. As if being single is kind of a spiritual JV, really. Um, until you get called up into the varsity of marriage. So that's one. Two... As soon as you're satisfied with God alone, that's when he'll bring someone special into your life. As if you could ever put God into your debt, right? Or twist his arm because of your performance. As if you could play some kind of game of reverse psychology with an omniscient God and somehow trick him into giving you a spouse. Here's a third. The reason you're not married is because you're too picky. As if God's purposes in your life ever have been or ever could be thwarted by your fickle and inconsistent whims. 
Number four, marriage will happen for you. Just wait on God. But how do you know that? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, God has not promised that. Some may never get married, even though they want to be married. And that doesn't mean you're living plan B for your life. Or that your life is somehow wasted or tragic. It's not. We could go on and on for some time about the challenge of singleness that I think often comes in the form of bad theology from other Christians. One lady I read wrote, the hardest part of being single is being a single Christian. Mainstream culture, she writes, has more positive models of living a full life as a person who's not married. And I'm saying, we've got to do better than that and create space for embracing the calling and fullness and beauty of the single life, which is what Paul wants his readers to see in 1 Corinthians 7. And I think this brings up another challenge of singleness, which is feeling like you don't belong or that you don't fit in to the church as singles. Um, It can be hard. It, It can be really challenging to come and sit through Bible studies and small groups when every application seems to be directed to those with spouses or those who are parenting little children. It can be hard to be single when your married friends seem to only be interested in your relationship status, as if there's nothing else important about your life to talk about than whether or not you're dating someone. Listen, Paul was writing into a cultural context where masculinity and femininity were defined by marriage and the ability to have children. What I'm saying is, it's a cult, it was a culture every bit as idolatrous of marriage and family as our cultural moment in America and in the American church. And Paul was saying, something radical has happened because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and it has flipped completely upside down all the values and identity markers of this world. There's a new kingdom you can belong to no matter what state you find yourself in, whether you're married or single or widowed or divorced. Paul was certainly saying singleness is a full life and it is honorable in itself in the economy of God's kingdom and what he's doing in the world. And and look, I know I'm just scratching the surface of the challenges here, but but let me at least mention one other challenge of singleness, uh, which is dealing with unmet desires in this life. I mean, a desire for companionship, a, a desire to have, as Virginia Woolf puts it, and as the man quoted in the email, to have your moments of being witnessed. A desire to know and be known in every part of life, Social and emotional and intellectual and spiritual, which culminates in a physical union with another person. And to have those desires go unmet is a real challenge, one that can be extremely hard and painful and difficult to endure, and we need to acknowledge it. 
And it can be very hard to be single and sit with those feelings. And it can be very hard to sit with someone in those feelings, which is why I think many times we rush to unbiblical platitudes to avoid sitting in that kind of pain with other people. Look, these are just a few of the challenges of singleness that I think we need to recognize. And yet in these challenges and in these difficulties, God calls us to obedience in him and before him. Uh, Which is why in verses 17 through 24, Paul introduced the idea of calling to this discussion. Verse 17, let each person lead the life or walk in the way that the Lord has assigned to him. And to which God has called him. And can we just acknowledge this before we leave this point? It can be really hard to walk in the way when it feels like you're alone. And there's no one who can identify with your struggle. When it feels like you're constantly on the outside looking in. When it feels like you're constantly misunderstood. When it feels like maybe you're missing out on something. But please hear this. Even if we, the church, have failed you here, and I think we often have, and come up short of identifying well with you in your challenges and sitting in the pain with you, there is someone who can identify with you. Someone who felt the sting of unhelpful, untrue, hurtful things spoken by the very ones who should have known better. Right When Jesus began his public ministry, his own family heard about what he was doing. And Mark recorded this in Mark chapter 3 verse 21. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said... He is out of his mind. I mean, come to fulfill his father's word. Come to bring redemption to mankind. And his own mother and brothers called him crazy. When Jesus told his friends the need for his death and resurrection, right? Peter wanted to prevent Jesus from suffering and dying. Peter tried to stop him. Peter tried to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus had to tell one of his best friends, get behind me, Satan. You have someone in Jesus who is able to identify with the feeling of not belonging and of not fitting in. I mean, John began his gospel by writing that Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. When Jesus returned to his hometown and the crowd there rejected him. And they mocked him saying, is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary and brother of James and so on? Maybe that doesn't sound too, too terrible to our ears. But in a patriarchal context where everyone was identified by their father's name. You know what they're saying? They're saying, we did the math. Your mom was pregnant before she got married. We don't even know who your dad is. You're an outcast. You don't belong. 
You have someone in Jesus who embraced the call to obedience in the face of unmet desires. Someone who heard God say no to his prayers. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he heard his father tell him no. That he would not remove the cup of wrath from his son. So we've got, we've got to move on. But lest you ever be tempted to feel less than or to feel incomplete in some way because you're single, please remember that Christianity itself rests on the doctrine that Jesus was fully human. He was the standard for humanity. He was the representation of the fully human life, and he was never married. And he was single his whole life. All right, we've got to move on. Second, let's turn the corner and talk about the gift of singleness. In verse 7, Paul called both marriage and singleness a gift. He wrote, each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now, if you're single and wanting to be married, you might hear that and think to yourself, sure, but one gift is clearly better than the other, right? Um, like, you wanted a, an iPhone or an Xbox for Christmas, but you got socks and underwear instead. It's a gift, but come on, who are we kidding here? Um, I heard someone once put their feelings like this. He said, Ephesians 5 was wonderful, Paul. But I'm just not sure 1 Corinthians 7 was really your best work. Um, So I want to ask, how is it that Paul saw singleness as a gift? And for one thing, Paul clearly saw singleness as a gift to God's kingdom and to the church. I wish I could get all into this, but this is a truly fascinating chapter in the Bible. Because it's one place... Where an author of the Bible says, don't take this statement authoritatively, but take it on my authority. Paul was saying, I wish all were single like me, in verse 7. But in verse 6, he wrote, this is a concession, not a command. And then down in verse 25, he wrote, this isn't a command, but my judgment, or my opinion on the matter. And throughout this passage... Paul wrote about his preference for singleness because he saw it as a gift to God's kingdom and the church. Verse 32, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Verse 34, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. Isn't the whole law of God, we actually confessed it this morning in the confession of faith, the whole law of God is summarized and summed up in loving God and loving your neighbor. And Paul was saying, not only can you do that if you're single, but you have actually a greater capacity for doing that if you're single and undistracted by the concerns of a spouse. Look, I'm jumping around a little bit, I know, but in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul wrote, when Jesus ascended on high, 
He led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And then Paul told us what some of those gifts were. This is Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He didn't say, and he gave the gift of prophecy, or the gift of evangelism, or the gift of teachers. Because when Jesus gives gifts, he gives people, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and so on. And Paul was saying, if God has called you to be single, whether that's for a short time or a long time, God is giving you as a unique gift to his kingdom and to his church. And we need you. The church, this church, it is poorer without you. There is no question about this in my mind. The church needs you not on the sidelines of ministry, but in the very middle of its ministry, leading ministry, and helping ministry, and showing hospitality to others, and reaching out to others. We need your perspective in everything. If anyone is less than in this equation, it's the church that is less than if you aren't in the very midst, in the middle of its ministry. But listen, Paul was also saying here, singleness is God's gift to you. Verse 7, but each has his own gift from God. Probably 20-something years ago, while working with Reformed University Fellowship uh, at Vanderbilt, Paige Bent Brown wrote an amazing article on singleness, which is well worth a Google search um, and, and a read. Only she, when she wrote it, she wasn't Paige Benton Brown. She was Paige Benton. She was single and wanting to be married. And she wrote this, Can God be any less good to me on the average Tuesday morning than he was on that monumental Friday afternoon when he hung on a cross at my place? And the answer, she says, is a resounding no. She goes on, God will not be less good to me tomorrow either because God cannot be less good to me. His goodness is not the effect of his disposition, but the essence of his person. Not an attitude, but an attribute. I long to be married. My younger sister got married two months ago, she says. She, she now has an adoring husband, a beautiful home, a whirlpool bathtub, and all new corning, uh, corning wear. <laughs> is God being any less good to me than he is to her? The answer again, she writes, is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me because God cannot be less good to me. It is a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of his children. And yes, it can be hard to get to a Friday afternoon and realize once again that you are home alone and without a date. But if you hear what Paige is saying, she's saying if you're a Christian, the only Friday night that defines you is that Friday when Jesus hung on a cross in your place. He has never and he will never shortchange any of his children 
Because that would deny his very character. So hear this. If you're single, the only and ultimate explanation for your singleness is God's goodness to you. It is his absolute best for you right now. Do you remember when Jesus said something about how if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And you remember his illustration here. Um, It was basically this. If your son asks for bread or a fish, will you give him a stone or a snake? A stone, at the very least, would not be good for your child. A snake would be positively harmful to your child. And you know what this means? It means because your Father in Heaven only gives good gifts to your children, if you've been praying for years for something, maybe for a spouse and a family, and God hasn't given it to you, Without knowing it, you've been asking for stones and snakes. And he will not give you anything that is not good for you. Anything that would harm you at all. He's giving you what you would have asked had you known everything he knows. And I have to be very brief here, but you have to think about this on your own. That really does seem to be the principle that is really driving Paul's opinion and his preference for singleness here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In verse 26, Paul wrote, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. And then down in verse 28, he wrote about those who who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you of that, he writes. And we don't know what the circumstantial distress or worldly troubles were. Some think maybe it was a famine. Others think um, that maybe the Christians were beginning to experience persecution at the time that Paul wrote this. Whatever it was, Paul was saying remaining single now may be, in fact, God's very good, his good for you, his very best for you. And I wish I could do much more because there's more to be said, much more to be said about the gift of singleness, both for God's kingdom and to you. But we have to get to the last point. So I would just ask that you would do me this favor. Do me this solid. Um, if you find yourself desiring to be married but single, you need to think and dwell about your state right now as God's very best for you. As his goodness expressed to you. All right. Third, the beauty of singleness. Um, One of my favorite times of the year is Easter. And yes, because Jesus conquered over sin and death, but also because of Reese's. Um, And um, peanut butter cups, mini cups, and Reese's Easter eggs, and pieces, and all that kind of stuff. Something truly beautiful happens when peanut butter and chocolate come together for me. Um, Peanut butter and chocolate, they're fine on their own, but something truly glorious happens when they come together. I know it's probably not the greatest illustration, 
especially if you don't like Reese's, in which case we'll pray for you. But, but, here, but here's my, my bigger point. When you can hold together in one hand the challenge of singleness and the gift of singleness, real beauty is created. When I said earlier that we need singles in the very middle of our ministry, one reason I think that's true is that your life has a unique ability to showcase the beauty of Jesus every bit as much as marriage does. Because listen, to hold together the challenge and the gift of singleness, there are some things which are not felt in this life to be luxuries to you, but absolute necessities. And we need you to draw our attention to that beauty. And I'm going to give you four. A deeper understanding and appreciation for community, contentment, mission, and identity. And i got to do these really brief here, but holding together the challenge and gift of singleness demands a deeper understanding and appreciation of community. It forces you to press into relationships and friendships in a very deep way. Because you can't hold this challenge and this gift by yourself. You can't do it alone. You need the support of others. And throughout this passage, Paul addresses brothers and sisters, which is subtle, I know, but it's really, really important that you know you have a community, that you have a family in the church. See, when Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. See, if you're married with a family, you shouldn't do this. But you might hear that, what Jesus is saying, as a luxury. Oh, and now I get even more family, a bigger family. But if you're single, it's a necessity. You belong to a family in the church of Jesus Christ. You have relationships here of knowing and being known that you have to press into. And listen, you get to showcase this beauty to those in this world who are alone and starving for real relationships, who truly do need the face of God in a watchful and loving human face. And you get to teach the church what real friendship really is. All right, second, holding together the challenge and gift of singleness also demands a deeper understanding and experience of contentment. In verse 17, Paul wrote, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. To obey God, no matter the circumstances of your life, and to honor him in the way you live your life, no matter, no matter what God has assigned you in life, contentment is not a luxury but a necessity for you. To the Philippians, Paul spoke about learning the secret of contentment in times of plenty and in want. And what was the secret of contentment that he learned? Well, Paul puts it this way. I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. Which was Paul's way of saying, I learned to rest in Jesus and to be satisfied in him no matter what God brings into my life. No matter what God has assigned me to endure in this life. For you to find joy and and contentment as you hold the challenges and the gift of singleness, you point others to the beauty of Jesus, to Jesus who alone can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. All right, third, holding together the challenges uh, and gift of singleness points us to the beauty of mission. In large part... Our culture says if you're single, now is the time to indulge yourself. You spend your time and your money the way you want to spend it. And more and more, we hear stories about the emptiness and despair of those who give their lives to their careers and to amassing a fortune of wealth to spend on themselves. And it's not emptiness because of singleness. It's emptiness because it's a life lived without a higher purpose than self. But when you hold the challenge and the gift of singleness together, it leads you out of yourself and into God's mission. And what you do with your time and your resources by living to please the Lord, as Paul put it, it showcases the beauty of mission, the beauty of being caught up in a purpose Higher than yourself. And finally, holding together the challenges and gift of singleness pushes you into a deeper understanding of identity. In verses 17 through 24, Paul was basically saying, were you circumcised or uncircumcised or a bondservant or a freedman? Don't worry about it, is what he says. I mean, literally, his words, verse 21, don't be concerned about it. Why? Would he say that? Because verse 23, he says, you were bought with a price. He's saying, understand your real, that your real identity is that you belong to Jesus before you belong to anyone or anything else in this life. And if you're single in a world that is trying to define you, by your relationship status on Facebook or dating apps or awkward conversations with your mom, you're forced to press into Jesus for your identity. Now, I I wish I had a lot more time this morning, especially to draw out more applications of the beauty of community and contentment and mission and identity But here's what I'm going to do. At the very least, I want to, in some sense, make up for the bad rhesus illustration um, and tell you this. At the cross of Jesus, for you and for the glory of God's name, two things came together. And the result was a staggering beauty that has the power to change the world And even you. At the cross of Jesus, the perfect, holy justice of God and the loving kindness of God came together and embraced for you. See, either by themselves, 
But God's righteousness by itself would terrify you and me. And you know this. His love by itself wouldn't take seriously enough our brokenness. The true beauty is God's righteousness and love coming together for you at the cross so that all your sins would be pardoned. So that you would never be alone, but clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, that you would be brought all the way into your Father's embrace and brought into deep community and contentment and called out and into mission and given an unshakable, incorruptible, unbreakable identity in Jesus that will last forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the time to be together as the church of God. That here in this place are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you that we have the time to talk about even difficult things, even things that we have failed to address very well in the church. Um, But we thank you that you have given to us your word, which is a light unto our feet. We thank you that you have given us your word and have assured us of your goodness to us in the person and work of Jesus. No matter what state we find ourselves in this morning, Father, help us to press further into his person and his work on our behalf. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.